The Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mini Show featuring Lenny. Only NFL podcasts are one of the hosts hates hard knocks. They make him bark. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Gimes. One of the teams we're talking about today looks like they'll be on hard knocks because we are previewing the AFC East. That team is the Jets, rumored to be on hard knocks to their dissatisfaction. And I am so happy to be joined by a first time guest came highly recommended by several existing guests. Taylor Kyles covers the Patriots for CLSN Media. Taylor, welcome to the show. Thank you so much uh, for the very sweet introduction. I am hyped to be here. This is really cool. Excited to talk some uh, AFC Beast, if we can use that term. It might be a little too early, but I mean... The AFC East is crazy. I've already um, talked about this division a lot because I did a top 10 offenses and then more importantly, defenses Mm. pod. All four defenses appeared in my top 10. Uh, Two of the offenses did. And as I went through the division, going back, watching a little, you know, I start by just looking at the depth charts, getting caught up to date. And then if I feel like I need to watch some players, um, I'll do that watch a few games. I like, I don't think it's possible to overhype how good this division is. I know we did it last year with the AFC West, but I expressed certain reservations about, you know, the Raiders and the Broncos. I, you know, I don't, aside from injuries, I don't harbor those reservations about this division. Maybe, you know, we can talk about the Patriots offense. We will talk about the Patriots offense. But Taylor, like, you, you covered the Patriots. Don't you feel like in any other division, the Patriots would be viewed as far more competitive than maybe they're being talked about because they're in the AFC East? I think so. And it's because you mentioned there's so many good defenses. And I'm just going to assume, take a wild guess that the Patriots weren't on the top 10 offenses, which is fair. But in another division where it's not as stacked, you would expect, okay, Bill O'Brien's there. So Mac Jones's whole thing is he's a distributor. He's a guy who's just going to make the right decision and get it to the right person, throw them a catchable ball. And that Bill O'Brien can work with that. So in most divisions, I think you're right, where there may be a couple cupcake guys in the division where you expect it's going to be an easy out, like what the Jets have kind of been historically, then yeah, sure, I think the Patriots would be in higher regard, especially with that defense. I'm sure yes, we'll get more into that. We will but, get into I it, mean, yeah. with, with their safety depth, I've been studying their defense for two months, trying to figure out how it works. And oh, I'm really? on like, my sanity is like holding on by a thread. Uh, but yeah, they're, a, I think they're a good team. I think they're going to surprise people uh, because the expectations I feel like are so low based on the abysmal performance they had on offense last season. Yeah. But in this division, I think I I've seen them ranked fourth. I can't really say I necessarily disagree. So it's fair, but I do think this is a team that could surprise people. All right, we will get to the Patriots. I decided not to start with the Patriots because I have a bad habit with these division previews of spending too much time on the first team. <laughs> and uh, I feel like we could talk about the Patriots for a really, really long time. Uh, so I figured let's start with the uh, the favorite, the Buffalo Bills. They are still the betting bay favorite. Um, so I've talked about them a lot, as I mentioned. I think they came up in both the offenses and the defenses pod. The offense, they were ranked higher. Um I didn't address this. The Bills did extend Sean McDermott uh, and Brandon mm-hmm. Bean a couple weeks ago, I think it was. Um, mm-hmm. I was a little bit surprised by that. It, it's funny because 
it shouldn't be surprising. Obviously, this team has been incredibly successful the last few years. But, you know, it also felt like if this season were to go wrong, McDermott in particular would probably get blamed for it because yeah. what who else are you going to blame? And I actually think it's a really interesting season for Sean McDermott, Taylor, because – and we're going to start with the defense here. He is taking over this defense um, by all accounts. Yeah. So I guess, you know, this is a defense that you obviously see a lot. It's a defense that it, – it, they're really interesting because they – have been very, again, very successful. They finish really high in just about every metric. Mm. And yet, I think when you compare them to a group like the Patriots, where there's so much creativity, both schematically, the types of players, even though they've been very successful, they've also been, they're, I, I guess... The, there's there's been some criticism about their ability to play better offenses. Yeah, and I mean, last year obviously was a different situation because they just were the, the injuries were terrible, so especially injuries. in the secondary. They had to rely on so many young players and so many depth players. And even now, you know, you got Micah Hyde and Jordan Poirier who are awesome, but they're also getting up there in age. Obviously, both had significant injuries last year. So you kind of have to wonder, okay, how well are they going to perform on a consistent basis, especially for a team that you expect to be in the playoffs? Now, they did get Taylor Rapp, which is someone who was connected to the Patriots. I think he was a nice addition for them, especially in a division where I think you're going to see a lot of base personnel and teams try to use those to create mismatches. I think Rapp's a guy who can play close to the line of scrimmage and give you a little more, a uh, little bit of coverage ability, run defense, all those kinds of things. But then in the secondary, like Trey White came back from a pretty big injury, wasn't playing quite up to par. Kyer Elam, you're hoping, can take a jump as a guy who was also really good. But, you know, the linebacker level, like this is a team that plays almost exclusively nickel because they have Matt Milano, who's a linebacker slash pass rusher slash slot corner. Like he can do just about everything. Arguably, I think the best linebacker in football. I think you can make a very good argument. But losing Tremaine Edmonds, that's really big blow because you talk about a defense that likes to play some of that cover two where a linebacker's basically a lot of the time taking a fast receiver vertically in the middle of the field. And Edmonds is one of the few guys in the NFL who you can consistently rely on to do that kind of thing. And it's why the Bears yeah. decided he was a priority for them because they're trying to get back to that kind of old school cover two scheme that they were playing when they were just dominating. He was sensational in in zone coverage last year, mm -hmm. which is what the Bills, you know, primarily asked him to do. Um, and I think how they replace him and who and in what way is one of the more interesting challenges for McDermott. Again, as we kind of look at, okay, this is, you're taking ownership of this defense um, because there isn't a clear answer. You know, they have a couple of guys who got some reps last year. I'm looking at their names because I want to make sure I get that the, the, they sound pretty similar. I was hoping you were going to look it up. Yeah. Dodson and okay. So it's uh, yes. Tyrell Dodson is uh, mm. he he's I think they've said he's most likely because he played more. I think he started three mm. games um, and then Terrell Bernard is a third round draft pick who, again, you know, played a teeny, teeny bit. They did draft another guy, Dorian Williams. Um, but you mentioned Taylor Rapp, and I think something that's also feasible and again, this is going to be really fascinating, is whether they actually do play more dime and just use mm -hmm. rap as a box safety. I mean, he, so 
for those who are unfamiliar with him and his work in Los Angeles or at UW, it, it is not surprising that he was linked in some ways to the Patriots because um, he is kind of like a tweener safety, uh, which yeah. seems to be their specialty over there at Foxborough. Very good tackler, very good in run defense, not so good in coverage for a safety. But if he was used as more of a linebacker where he's, you know, defending tight ends and maybe in the slot, you know, I, I think it kind of makes sense. So, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I don't know if, how they're going to use him. I don't know. Like, like you said, this is a defense that almost exclusively, I, they played more nickel, I think, than any defense in the NFL. Like, you're right. They did what they do. They play nickel. They play cover two. They don't really blitz. And I, my question for this unit is like, okay, is that, is that Sean McDermott? Was that, you know, or was that Leslie Frazier? Um, Or will we see some changes? Will we see different kinds of pressures and more blitzes and more disguise? And will you play more man coverage? It's going to be really interesting. I guess my final question for you is like, do you think that there need to be some changes? Because again, this is a defense that was really good and has good players. Are the players good enough to for them to be a we do what we do defense, which is usually you have mm-hmm. to have like, you know, that's talent led. You have to have a yeah. really good talent. You have to have a really good four man rush. You have to have really good corners. Do you think they're good enough to just kind of do what they've always done? It's going to be interesting, especially in camp. Like once the pads come on and we see, okay, who are they putting at middle linebacker? How successful are they? Like Dorian Williams, in my mind, seems like the most obvious guy who's going to take the torch from Tremaine Edwins when you think of one, they look almost identical. You know, they got the dreads, they're guys who are just like tick, yeah. tick, tick, let the play develop and they small. fire out of the cannon. A little smaller, right? And that's where you have to think, you know, he's kind of in that rap role where really he's more of a safety. But in addition, when you look at him in college, processing was a bit of an issue. And in this scheme where there's a lot of match, where you have to understand the intricacies of what's going on around you, not necessarily just spot drop, where you're kind of just hitting a landmark and reading what's going on. In the Bills scheme, he's going to have more defined responsibilities, and we'll see how he adjusts to those. So to that end, I think maybe more rap could be good for them. But that all also relies on how much they're allowed or the injuries on the front. Like if they can keep those big bodies up there and keep the second level clean, let Matt Milano do his thing yeah. and run free. And that's where Tremaine Edwins was also at his best. Sure. I think you can make maybe see more dime, but at the same time against a team, like say the Patriots or the jets, who you think are going to run the ball a good amount because some of their best players are the running backs. Do you really trust rap to be your, essentially your weak side linebacker and taking on those big offensive linemen? So I wish I had a better answer, but it's one of those, burning questions yeah. i think where who's going to fill in at that second level and give them some shred of the production they were getting from Tremaine but you make a great point about the defensive line really mm-hmm. being you know fundamental to how much is asked of these linebackers and run defense a defensive line that you know they were very good in run defense last year mm-hmm. um i thought um, much better than the prior few years with the addition of yeah. daquan jones and, and and it's a pass rush that also i think will like a, a sort of go back to kind of what I was saying is like, how different do the bills have to be? Well, a lot of it comes down to whether Von Miller looks like Von Miller, in my opinion, like if Von Miller is as good as he was in the first half of last season coming off of the ACL, I don't really think this defense has much to worry about, frankly, because, you know, they get, they they add depth, they sign Leonard Floyd. um, They bring in some guys on the inside, Puna Ford, Tim Settle, Mm -hmm. but you know, for the most part uh, it's the same edge rush group with Von Miller it's a really good edge rush shoot without him. It's a lot of questions. Yeah. Uh, so I think that is another thing we're not going to know until 
week one when he, cause he, they, you know, they think he's been kind of like vague about his health and obviously he's not practicing and. You don't um, want to waste him and get him hurt or like re-injure yeah. this early. You don't want to put him in that position. Also Gregory Russo, we're going to have to see how he develops because yeah. he started to come on. He looked pretty good in moments. So if he can be like your guy on the edge where you expect a lot of the pass rush production is going to come from him and Leonard Floyd can just be complimentary because I think he's also a pretty underrated edge defender. He's good run. He's good in run defense. I think he's a solid pass rusher. So, but still Von Miller's Von Miller, mm-hmm. even coming off the ACL, you expect him to just be the freak that he is. So, I mean, absolutely. If Russo plays well, that's a big boost, but what are you going to do with Von Miller? Are you going to play it safe because you know you're probably going to make the playoffs? Or are you like, hey, we're not getting any pass rush. Like, we got to kind of bump you in, at least on third downs on these pass situations. So I, this entire offseason, have been kind of on this, everybody's too worried about the Bills offense train. I, you know, I've been mm-hmm. like saying Josh Allen. I've been ranking him high. I've been ranking the Bills offense high. Um, and a lot of that stems from kind of my belief that Allen's injury impacted his play last year yeah. uh and as you know it was most notably the biggest difference it's funny because so his injury was like week nine i believe so i was looking mm-hmm. at the week one through eight versus 10 through the playoff splits and there's actually not that many dissimilarities in terms of dvoa qbr off target rate even like the it's not as um he didn't drop off. He threw a lot of interceptions, but the one mm-hmm. thing where there was a dramatic change is he went from about middle of the pack in air yards per attempt to third. And then it got even higher and into the yeah. playoffs. He was just firing downfield yeah. and Taylor. Um, I do think some of that had to do with the injuries. I thought they explained some of his inaccuracy throwing short, but one of the things I'm excited about, uh, with this Bills offense and some of the changes that I expect is the addition of Dalton Kincaid uh, at tight end. For me, it's less about, oh, the Bills are going to come out. I mean, they'll be in 12 personnel, but Dalton Kincaid, Brandon Bean himself has called it 11 and a half. Like he knows <laughs> Dalton Kincaid is I not. I respect the transparency. Yeah. You don't usually like, hear no. coaches acknowledge. Yeah, this guy's yeah. <laughs> they expect to see a lot of nickel, you know, as they mm-hmm. usually do. Um. But one of the things I'm so excited about is not necessarily, you know, oh, now they can run the ball or whatever. I mean, you know, he's certainly more helpful than whatever insert slot receiver. But I also think he's just a really good underneath option for Josh Allen. And that's, to me, sort of last year what was a real issue at times because Gabe Davis just doesn't isn't used that way at all. Right. Yeah. He's kind of a one trick pony. And I think the short accuracy, like you mentioned, it really stood out after that injury where some of the short throws you would think were automatic were going behind guys or just not catchable balls. But for some reason, even though he had the elbow injury, he's throwing dimes like 50 yards downfield. And it was is, weird. Right. You're like, you're, man hurt, not you're, you're good throwing deep. What is the, yeah. It's wonky, but Josh Allen's also wonky in terms of just like he's not a human being. So, you know, that played out how it did. But with Kincaid, I I do think he's that guy, kind of a security blanket that Cole Beasley was. I see him filling a similar role where Beasley won more with quickness, obviously wasn't the biggest guy, but he's really hard to defend in their scheme. Kincaid is a similar guy where he may not shake guys out of their shoes necessarily, but he's a bigger body at 6'3". And if you're going to play him like a slot receiver, you know, I've had this conversation about Mike Kosicki. It's very easy to sit there and say, oh, he's a receiver. Just cover him with a corner. 
How many slot corners do you know who are even six feet tall? Yeah. Not many. So, yeah, he may not necessarily win with quickness, although he is one of the most – I think he's going to walk into the NFL as one of its more athletic tight ends. Uh, then you also have the element of size. He can win short to intermediate, but also deep, depending on what the matchup is. So I think he's a really big boost for their offense. And if I'm a Bills fan, I'm feeling way better than I did before the draft because, you know, like I said, Gabe Davis – pretty good at what he does but he's inconsistent he's a bit of a one-trick pony then you got younger guys who really aren't proven you don't know what you're going to get from them i love dawson knox um maybe it's just because every time i watch him against the patriots he's just having a really great game on those scrambles and he's always there for josh allen it's, it's so frustrating um but king kate is someone who i think you can consistently rely on and expect he's going to come in and they're like yeah no when Diggs is going to get all the attention you are the one who's going to capitalize on it and if you play them in nickel or big nickel Kincaid is not, he's not a great blocker. That's not why he's being drafted, mm. but he block. I mean, like you're yeah. better off with two tight ends on the field running the ball than you were with Khalil Shakir or Cole Weasley or whatever. <laughs> so it right. does give them, like, if you are going to play this team really light, they, they, the addition, you know, uh, the usage of an, a tight end instead of wide receiver, it makes a difference, even if that's yeah. not his thing because of, you know, like he's going to be going up against, against a much smaller guy. Uh, and yeah, the, and I think that's something, Taylor, that they really wanted to focus on coming into this season. I mean, with the yeah. drafting of Kincaid, again, obviously he's not a blocker, but the point is he's a tight end. And then the uh, signing of Damian Harris, like that felt like a, like we oh, want to change our identity a little bit signing. Yeah. So let's talk about him. Like, what do you think he brings to the run game? That's maybe different from what they had with Singletary. And how do you mm -hmm. see the balance um, in terms of usage shaking out between him and James Cook? So yeah, Damian Harris, I say heartbreaking, you know, as someone who's been following the Patriots, he just seemed like a wonderful person. Great locker room guy was, is one of Mac Jones's best friends, like in the world. Um, and he always performed really well, especially against the Bills. So when he was signed by them, it was, it made a lot of sense, but he gives you one size, you know, Devin Singletary was more of a water bug, although I do think he's a really good back. I had a lot underrated. of fun watching Devin Singletary, yeah. definitely underrated. He's really tough for his size. You know, he gets extra yards. He can make guys miss, although he is smaller, but Damian Harris, what the minus is, is that he's hurt. Like you're not going to get 17 games out of him, unfortunately, but when he's on the field, he's their best power back and it's really not close. And you can consistently count on him in that role. And one other uh, draft pick who I think is going to be significant and maybe what they do this year, if he ends up getting significant playing time, Osiris Torrance, yeah. like he's a Mike and Wenu type where he's massive, but has the feet where he can hold up in pass protection. And once he gets his hands on you, you're kind of done. If they really do want to go into games and say, all right, we're not trying to put all of this on Josh Allen's shoulders, or maybe it's one of those games where Josh is regressing and he's playing like he's back at Wyoming and just making decisions that completely boggle your mind. You know, it, it crept up. I don't like bringing those up, but the reality is you did see some of that last season. Uh, but Os I think Osiris Torrance, Damian Harris, and then you said Kincaid isn't a great blocker, but if you're getting like that Travis Kelsey slot receiver who sometimes lines up offline type, get in the way. If you try, yeah. then you're doing your job pretty much. And there are tight ends who don't try. It's like, no, if you put me in the trenches, I don't know what you're expecting, but it's not going to be good. Uh, yeah. But with those three guys, I think they have at least the option to say, all right, you know, we got to take some of the pressure off of our passing game. Let's try to run the rock. And with someone like Torrance, I think they have a better shot at being effective. And obviously James Cook, you know, not the same guy. He's more of a wide zone, kind of stretch the defense horizontally. 
find that crease and hit it. Whereas Damian Harris is more of a guy who's going to win on like duo power, those kinds yeah. where he's just going straight down your throat. Um, but yeah, I really do expect them to lean on the run game more than they have in years past, but that's also, you know, whether they have the willpower to say, all right, we're not just going to use our cheat code at quarterback. We're actually going to try to give the defense something else to think about. And with their play action scheme, like they love love going out with a look that looks like run. Like sometimes they would come out with three tight ends and Gabriel Davis. And you're thinking, there's no way they're going to pass out of this. And then Gabe Davis is getting wide open because the defense is thinking pass. So I, I do think those additions make give the offense the option to be more balanced, which is a really, really scary thought. Yeah. I'd like to see them use the fullback a little bit more to this mm-hmm. year. Gilliam. Gilliam. My biggest concern about this offense um is not the skill players it is the line that's what jumped out to me uh watching i watched a couple of the divisional games at the end of last year to prepare for this and i was just like the line was a lot worse than i thought or remembered i i um i was i mean josh allen was really really under siege which i think also not that his decisions were even all necessarily when he was pressured um and again Mm -hmm. a lot of them did not make sense but i do feel like the sort of declining play of the line at times did lead to some regression on his part yeah um so they're kind of i mean it's it's gonna look different this year they're rolling it back at tackle, which on the right side, who buddy, uh, is a concern. Uh, the interior, Those though, will look – will, yeah, the guard position is going to look different, um, which I think is a good thing based on mm-hmm. watching. You mentioned Torrance. We'll see if he wins – if he starts day one. Um, you know, they have Ryan Bates in the building. And McGovern. I, I think there's the potential for this group to be better, but I would say that's – Maybe the single biggest question I have about the Bills, period, frankly. Um, I guess we would talk about some of the defense, but I think the offensive line is probably my biggest concern. And I think they should take a page from the Chiefs playbook. Like for Patrick Mahomes, the beginning of his career, his line wasn't great. You know, it was more, all right, we have a great athlete. He can make guys miss if he needs to. And also in Andy Reid's scheme, he's not really asking Mahomes to hold on to the ball very long. You know, I think I think Andy Reid has a role where he's like, hey, for first two and a half seconds, it's my, this is my team. Like yeah. I am calling the shots. After that, go nuts. Like you can do what you, you can do your thing. And that gave him that balance of structure and discipline while also being able to have the freedom and the comfortability to be like, all right, I'm also the, one of the best athletes on the planet. I'm going to do my thing. And I think with Josh Allen, especially when you know he has that inconsistency where sometimes if he feels like he has to do too much, that's where you start seeing some of the really bad decision making. And then you saw with Mahomes, they went really heavy. And in the draft and, and for agency, they yeah. really did go after some good offensive linemen. And now they have one of the best units in the league, just a bunch of really mean dudes where you can see if they want to run the ball, like we saw in the Super Bowl, they have the horses to do it. Um, so I think the Bills, with Osiris Torrance, I think that's a good step in the right direction. I really do think he's going to end up being their best offensive lineman within the next the first few years of his career, just because he's so talented. And I think that coaching staff is really good. Um, but at the same time, you need the horses to actually be able to protect them. You know, you can't just scheme your way out of a bad offensive line, which is something as a Patriots follower is also concerning on their front. But yeah, I mean, you, Josh Allen is your offense. Stefan Diggs is also your offense, but you got to protect him so that he at least has that comfortability and knows that he can have a bad play where he just throws it away rather than feeling like he's got to be Superman back there. All right. Let's talk about the Patriots. Um, let's start with the offense instead of the defense. Uh, so you're there, you're there, you're seeing the Bill O'Brien effect. Yeah. Um, 
obviously sort of what you're seeing, it's, it's a little bit limited thus far, but you're certainly seeing the changes you're hearing about um, how he is changing this offense. So let's start off by talking about that. Like, you know, on the ground, what are some of the changes you've already seen in terms of how O'Brien is approaching the offense this year? And then what are some of the changes you expect to see once they actually start playing? Yeah, so it's a it's heavy 12 personnel, so two tight ends. And it looks more like a college offense, which makes a lot of sense. You know, you got Mac Jones had his most of his success when he was in Alabama with that RPO-heavy scheme uh, where he was able to kind of just get the ball out of his hands quickly, um, a lot more spread looks, things like that. And you did see that from the Patriots last season, but their offensive coordinator just didn't have the experience to do it in a cohesive way where it felt like things were building on top of each other. It really was just, okay, we're going to throw this out. Oh, that play worked. And then you never see anything from it again. There's nothing off of it. It's just, you know, it's kind of disjointed. So that's the best thing I think I'm seeing is it really does seem like plays are starting to build off of each other. And in this spread offense, I think the Patriots are probably best suited to be a running team just because Ramondre Stevenson is their best player on offense. And I think with their line, there's questions in pass protection. So I think you'd want to be in a position where, you know, Bill O'Brien loves max protection when he runs play action, which means basically everyone but the receivers are blocking. So the quarterback has as much protection as possible. And worst case scenario, if no one gets open downfield, you just check it down and you get a nice little chunk of yards to keep the chains going. So, and beyond schematically, I mean, listening to Bill O'Brien, he is very vocal. Like he is reaming guys if they're making mistakes. And that's what you want to see from yeah. non-spence that lack communication, lack discipline, lack uh, coherency. Like there was just, a, it didn't feel like a professional offense. You're definitely seeing that where O'Brien's holding them to a standard. And I know Mac Jones, like people say he looked pouty on the sidelines and all these things last season. But I think his frustration was the fact that he didn't feel like he had a leader he could rely on, especially coming off of a rookie season where he had Josh McDaniels, you know, one of the brightest offensive minds in the league. And you can see him and Bill O'Brien, they seem to work much better together because of that uh, that leadership role and that uh, the experience, really, and the uh, proven track record that O'Brien has. Plus, they had the overlap where I know when O'Brien got to Alabama, Mac Jones was there, and I think Nick Saban specifically asked him to incorporate more of Sarkeesian's playbook. So he kind of blended those cultures where it's everything he did with the Patriots and all those things, but also things that Mac Jones was comfortable with. So it's the best situation you can ask for. And I, I think at the very least, this is going to be a ball control offense where similar to 2011, dink, dunk, you know, you kind of fall asleep and then you wake up and you're like, whoa, how'd they get inside the 10 yard line? And Devontae Parker, Mike Kosicki, Hunter Henry, they've got the big bodies to actually win and an offense coordinator who can use them and not hide Hunter Henry, who is a great red zone threat his first year with the Pats and then disappeared last season. So off the top of your head, what would you guess Mac Jones's QBR was when pressured last year? Oh, I worked for next gen stats last year. So I have a, I know it was not good. I, it was a really hard, uh, 4.1. 4.1. Oh 4. my gosh. 1. Not great. Oh, I was um, trying to figure it out in my head. I thought it was like 40. That's rough. Okay. I, it was the lowest of any starting quarterback. And I think that is like, there's so many problems with the offense last year. You alluded to some of them. I think the, the sequencing, the lack of, uh, flow plays, not really feeling connected to each other, attention to detail, maybe, uh, you know, trying to run things that they weren't actually meant to run all of it, whatever. But the, the number one, I think the worst thing was when I was watching, it just so often felt like Mac Jones didn't have answers, uh, yeah. when he was pressured or blitzed. And I think with O'Brien, um, there's just what I expect to see is for him to give him answers, to make life easier for him as a passer. 
Um, you know, obviously the RPO is huge, alluded to that, something there Mac Jones is extremely good at in college, something that the Patriots mysteriously have not done during his tenure. Um, that's a no-brainer, again, in terms of giving him answers, giving him easier completions. But, you know, other things like putting him in empty, which is a Bill O'Brien staple. So he has all, you know, you, he can just look for mismatches. There's not, you know, because Mac, when he is in empty and, you know, the blitz is coming, but he, the ball's coming out quick because he is a good pre-snap quarterback and he's mm-hmm. fairly accurate. So, I, and I, I think there are just so many things that he can do um, to where he won't look at all times <laughs> like he's he's flailing out there yeah. when he's under pressure and i think that's going to be the biggest single biggest change in him this season is him performing better under pressure yeah absolutely and then like you said it starts with just a better pre-snap process so we talk about rpos the patriots are using them last season none of them were downfield so if it's you're just bubbles. running and then it's yeah. a bubble field it's bubble screen like no one's afraid of that. That's that's basically giving the uh, other team a win because they're just asked to defend one of the not one of the easiest necessarily, but it's just not very threatening whereas in college you saw Mac hitting slants, hitting goes. I did a piece on that for CLNS where I'm doing a series rebuilding the Pats offense where you see that O'Brien does similar things where it's more downfield RPOs where the defense is in real conflict because they don't just have to worry about defending the run and maybe a screen on the other side of the field. It's no, they could throw right over your head if you do commit to the run. And then in the empty packages, Josh McDaniels kind of dabbled with them. I think Max rookie season, there were times where his pre-snap process wasn't great. So I think maybe that held McDaniels back from using it that year. And then last year, it just kind of disappeared. So Max third year, he's got a good coach who can teach him and a really one thing I love about O'Brien if you watch his clinics the way he teaches he makes it very simple he he dumbs things down as much as he can because like the philosophy of if you can't defend a play we're just going to keep running it until you figure out how to stop it and you think back to uh, the Patriots Super Bowl against the Rams that last drive where they ran Haas Juke three times in a row and the Rams had no idea how to defend it like sometimes football is just that simple if the, the other team doesn't know how to defend it just go there. And uh, one, obviously, protection was an issue. There was one game where Kendrick Bourne was like, well, we don't have time to get open, basically. Um, he's always good for a soundbite. He'll, he'll tell you how it is. Um, and then at the same time, you got receivers running into each other. You've got guys running 15 yards downfield on third and three. Um, so all those little things where it's hard to really capture in statistics, but just how disjointed they were. Even mm. one other nugget, I'm rambling here. I, I could also talk about bats all day, but one of the most jarring kind of behind the scenes storylines was the, you heard about how they were practicing wide zone, the Shanahan scheme, all those bootlegs. They were doing it, but then in season they scrapped it. And because they spent so much time on that, you think of like Tom Brady, they use the pulling guards and then you have a tight end running down the seams where it's virtually impossible for a linebacker to defend because he's respecting the run because of the guard. That's what they're taught to do. And then you're throwing right over the head. They literally didn't have that play for most of the season. So this is entire chunks of the playbook that weren't even available. And it's just, I cannot underline how bad it was last season. <laughs> so I just the foundation, like you're seeing balls aren't hitting the ground. O'Brien's holding people accountable. Mac doesn't look frustrated constantly. You know, he actually seems like he's excited to be out there. And the energy on the field has been a lot better. So again, went on way longer, but I probably yeah, should have. Yeah, but yeah. I, I really do think you're going to see a way better version of this offense just because the foundation isn't pudding. <laughs> yeah, no, I, the... Um, it's we did quarterback rankings, and uh, I think Stephen Ruiz brought up that he thought the RPO game. He comp- he talked about Miami, how they attack mm-hmm. downfield using RPOs. Look, the 
Patriots don't have Jalen Hill or Jalen Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, obviously. But even the year before last year in Miami, they the Dolphins with Tua still used RPOs to attack at a greater depth than yeah. I think what we had really seen uh, predominantly throughout the NFL. I think that's like a larger NFL trade trade trend. By the way, is um, teams using RPOs uh, to uh, throw deeper than they have uh, in the past. Yeah. Uh, but that's something that I think really makes sense for the Pats. It, it, the skill players they have make sense. Like Juju is a great RPO wide receiver. Gusecki is like a big slot, you know, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it just makes sense. I do have one last question about the Patriots offense, though. Um, so uh, I think we both agree Mac Jones is his best self in the gun. A lot of empty, no huddle, spread things out, RPOs, yeah. spray it around the field like he did in college. The Patriots' run game uh, seems, you, you alluded to sort of the evolution last year, really looks has looked its best when it's more under center. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you see those two things jiving, if that, like, how do you see them connecting? So one, Bill O'Brien in college, he ran a pretty diverse run game out of the gun. So you know, okay, at least in terms of the playbook, the teaching points, they're going to be able to accomplish that and carry that over. But Adrian Clem may be one of the most underrated hirings, I think, that happened this offseason. Because one, he's coming from the college game from Oregon, where they had a pretty good offensive line over there. And he's used to that more collegiate offense and also just being able to teach the fundamentals. Like, I hate putting everything on Matt Patricia because – he was put in an impossible position where even Robert Kraft essentially was like, yeah, we, we screwed him. Like we asked him to do something he couldn't possibly do. Like offensive line coaches are their own thing. Like you can have an entire career and that's all you coach. And you will be one of the most revered people in your profession because it's so hard. And there's so much detail that goes into teaching that position. Matt Patricia is doing that while he's putting a game plan together, which is just impossible. And you could tell they changed the, uh, the system and the way they communicated on the offensive line where you could just see fundamentally where they tried the wide zone stuff. I don't even think at first I thought it was a personnel issue, but really it was more teaching and these players just not executing things properly. So I think that they'll be able to have success because the teaching points will be better and uh, players will understand how to improve if they make mistakes. And you're just starting from a much higher point. So I don't really think going to more shotgun is going to affect them necessarily. If anything, I think, you know, just because they have uh, the teachers and the coaches to improve it, I think we could see a better, I'm almost positive that we're going to see a better version of the run game than we saw last season. Yeah. And I think uh, Stevenson um, is a pretty uh, scheme and formation agnostic running back. Like I think you can, he can be used a variety of ways. He's a really, really good player. I had, I am worried about the offensive line, uh, similar to the Bills. Same thing, same, same spot. Both. Actually, the right tackle spot is like, ooh. Yeah. Uh, even left tackle, depending on what goes on with Trent oh Brown. Like he was only there for one day of uh, of mini camp, and he did a few drills, and then went to the lower field. So tackle is that's the one area where if you're saying the Patriots are fourth. And there's really not an argument. It's there because and, if Trent Brown isn't ready to play and you have a bad right side, that's that's tough to overcome. The depth is not great. It's a it's a real issue. It's one that they did not really address to, you know, and I think a lot of people expected them to draft tackle instead. And they they drafted it. C- CD. So who was uh, to be fair, he was drafted and I 
also thought that he was going to be a guard. I spoke to Brandon Thorne, who's a guru uh, when it comes to the trenches. And even he said, yeah, I don't think City So is really a tackle. But they're throwing bodies at the position. They signed Calvin Anderson from the Broncos, who was originally a Patriot as an undrafted free agent. Uh, they brought in Riley Reef. They re-signed Connor McDermott. They Reef is starting, there? right? Reef is probably the starting right tackle. I don't, don't even know, know because okay. on the towards the end of those camps, no, you, you're up, you're right. He was, but towards the end of camp, they started putting in Connor McDermott, who was the starter for a lot of the end of last season, which was not great. He's a good backup, but he's not someone you want starting. So they threw a lot of bodies at the position, but there's really no one outside of Trent Brown who you're like, oh yeah, he starts 17 games. I'm not terrified. So we'll see. Let's talk about a, a much more fun Patriots topic, which is the safeties um, slash linebackers slash unicorns. <laughs> uh, they got a type. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I feel like the guy getting the most uh, buzz from the outside is Marte Mapu. Um, let's start there, who they drafted this year. So Kristen mm -hmm. Gonzalez is also, you know, I mean, I've talked about him a lot already and, and what he brings to this defense and how Stark. it was a great pick. And yeah, he looks awesome. Yeah. But, the, but Mapu's really fascinating to me because, um, you know, I, that was a pick where when they made it, I, was kind of, I, I didn't really think a ton of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I read about, I, I didn't watch him for the draft and I read a little bit about him and it sounded very Patriotsy the way he was being described. But like, I swear to God, the headlines coming out of Patriots camp make him sound like the second coming of Roquan Smith slash Fred Warner slash Troy Polamal. I mean, they're, they're like you y'all are raving about him. Uh, so what do you think he brings to this team? How do you see him fitting in? to, you know, an already very, very impressive linebacker slash safety group. Yeah. And to be fair, I didn't know about Marte Mapu until I saw that he visited the Pats. So I was mm. like, you know, there's so many players to cover. Let me at least try to make sure I know the guys are showing interest and do my due diligence. And it did not take long to be like, oh my God. Yeah, no, he fits. He's the guy. Because I know that um, Jim Nagy runs the senior bowl was saying with some of the best defenders, you don't like you hear them before you see them. And that's Mapu. Like you're not hearing a lot. Obviously, there's not. They're not wearing pads or anything. But you see the pursuit, this closing speed, the burst. Like it's all there, and it's freaky because this is one of the biggest guys in the secondary. He's he's Kyle Duggar's weight, but he's six four. So he's like a, he's a really big dude, and just physics. If a really big guy is fast, it's gonna hurt when he hits you. Um, and you saw him at the Senior Bowl where he really made a name for himself. He was throwing his shoulder into offensive linemen to defend the run on wide zone. He was coming downhill. So you saw that he could be a linebacker, which is what he basically was in college, although he's really more of a slot corner, like one of those hybrid kind of roles. Mm. Uh, but what surprised me, I didn't expect him to be playing like actual safety. You know, I'm thinking more like Jamie Collins, where he was a safety in college, but then they moved him to linebacker because he was bigger. Marte Mabu was playing free safety a lot like a lot more than I could have ever anticipated. Again, because you don't expect to have your 6'4 to be playing center field, like Cam Chancellor type. No, you want him down there, like banging with all the other guys. But because they're three, four deep, 
at strong safety or box safety, they can really put Mapu wherever they want, and he's got the athleticism to succeed. So, you know, usually I'm the king of, like, temper expectations when it comes to non-padded practices, but when you see his college tape, how smart he is, how athletic he is, and then you see it translate to the field, and he's getting reps with, like, other starters, not necessarily with the first team, but he's in there with, like, Jalen Mills, with Duggar. Like, these guys are basically just a very heavy rotation where they can put him wherever they want, and you saw Mapu also play close Mm. to the line of scrimmage, so... I mean, buy stock because he's going to – I would be shocked if he's not heavily involved in at least their sub-packages. You know, there's a lot of guys who get drafted and get pumped up during the draft process. It's like he can do everything. Isaiah Simmons, mm-hmm. you know, in Arizona being an example. Um, yeah. I think like it took the Ravens a, a second to figure out how they wanted to use Kyle Hamilton, who's kind of a, a similar player in some ways. But the Patriots really seem to measure in – the most important thing to our team or like we we are going to corner the market on linebackers who can cover and safeties who can tackle. And as we talk about, you know, so much of what's happening right now in NFL offenses is being able to get into personnel groups that make defenses uncomfortable. You alluded mm-hmm. to the, the chiefs and their 13 personnel is like one of the main storylines of the 2022 season for me to have a defense where you have not just one, not just two, but multiple players who can do all of these things. Um, it just strikes me as such a schematic advantage for this team. Uh, they're so much more multiple than most teams in the NFL. And it's a huge reason why they, you know, finished number one way to DVOA. Yeah, and you see it because they very rarely don't have three safeties on the field. I was looking yesterday. There's also several packages where in third and long, there were four. They wouldn't really have a – there were somewhere there were four down linemen, and it was Adrian Phillips and Jibro Peppers at linebacker. Like, they know what they've got, and they push the envelope as much as possible. They even had a base package against the Browns where – you see Kyle Duggar at cornerback, and he had an interception and then stopped like an end around where he just put his hand in the tight end's chest and just threw him aside and made the tackle. <laughs> like, you got a lot, like Jabril Peppers and Adrian Phillips, and I, I could really go on. Really, all their safeties, like you said, can play linebacker, but they're also very good slot corners, and the scheme helps them out because, like, for, so for Jabril Peppers, when he was with the Giants, there was a game where they had him in man coverage in the slot against Cooper Cup. Can't tell you why. That seems like an unhinged move just because Cooper Cup is one of the best receivers in the league and Jabril Peppers is still a strong safety. You know, that's a mismatch no matter what safety you're putting out there. The Patriots, when Jabril Peppers is on the field, he plays zone. So they put him underneath so he Mm. doesn't have to carry guys downfield. Uh, One guy who gets a lot of flack, uh, Miles Bryant, is someone who sometimes he'll go from cornerback. And I love him just because of how smart he is and how much flexibility he gives them. A lot of the time, they'll actually take their safeties put them in the slot and have Miles Bryant covered deep so that Peppers and uh, Duggar can just use their physicality, chuck uh, receivers in their routes, throw off the timing. Like there was one against the Bengals where Kyle Duggar caused a pileup because he hit somebody so hard he ran into the other receiver and they both kind of got jolted. It was amazing. But just the scheme does such a great job of putting them in position to succeed and not making them uncomfortable. Sometimes Peppers even at cornerback just so he could jam receivers. It was a really big part of their package against the Bills where he would go out against Gabe Davis and Stephon Diggs, just push them to the sideline and have a safety over the top of him. So not only do they have all these great players, Jalen Mills converting from cornerback, uh, to safety where he was also used in Philly. Great blitzer, really big hitter. Um, and they know how to use these guys. Like 
I think Mills is probably going to take over for McCourty when he was closer to the box. They use McCourty a lot as a tight end eraser sometimes where yeah. there are two tight end sets. So, I mean, really, they say that they're matchup proof, and it's true because whatever package is out there, they can put three safeties on the field and each have them in a position where it makes it really hard on the offense because there's no true weak links. Yeah. It is, it's funny because with the Bills offense, we were talking about 11 and a half. Well, right. this is, it, it's kind of asked and answered, you know, like, okay, well, mm -hmm. what does it take when, you know, in a, I, I said, well, if Dalton Kincaid's out there and they're, and a team plays them in nickel or dime, they'll probably, you know, the Bills will have success running the ball. But what happens when you're playing a team that's in mostly dime and those mm -hmm. safeties are really big and strong and can tackle. It's amazing. It's super fun. I love watching the Patriots defense. Um, I don't really like, I, I was trying to think of like concerns. I was like, well, we'll see what, you know, McCourty played a lot. Uh, and so in terms of like the post-production, I'll be curious because, um, you know, there's not like a true center fielder type. I think mm -hmm. that is, would be a question. Can Duggar cover that way? Can some of the other guys, um, play, uh, play deep. And then I think, you know, up front, um, I'm a big Uche fan. Um, I've been a, like, uh, I've, I've held on to my Josh Uche stock and it finally cashed in last year. There we go. Uh, but you know, Barmore was hurt. Judon's getting a little bit up in the years. I still expect this pass rush to be good. I expect them to be better, honestly, because Barmore should be healthier. So. And Keon I, White. And they throw in Keon White. <laughs> I mean, I don't really have concerns about that group. So, all right. We could talk about the Patriots all day, but we're not going to. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're yeah, going to come back <laughs> and talk about the other two teams in the AFC East. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using code OMAHAFULL. And then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, keep those winnings. But if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and older only, offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 plus wagers only. Must register with an eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to the account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling one 800 Gambler, it's 1-800-426-2537, or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, 
designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Show. M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right. The New York Jets, I feel like, could finish first, could finish fourth. You could probably say that about, you know. Uh, I mean, they're fascinating. Um, let's talk about the offense because that, that is the much more I, – I would say the, the probably the biggest mystery in this division to me is what is this offense going to look like. Um, because, like, with Bill O'Brien, we kind of know – you know, we know his tendencies. We know what Mac Jones is good at. We kind of talked about that. We know what the – Miami offense and the Bills offense are going to look like Bills with some adjustments. I don't think we know exactly what this New York Jets offense is going to look like. There's a lot of expectations about it looking like Green Bay because of um, obviously Aaron Rodgers, Nathaniel Hackett coming from there. But I think there's a lot of reasons to, to question how much this will look like the Packers offense of the last few years mm -hmm. uh, led by Matt LaFleur. Um I for to you, what do you think this offense should look like to optimize Aaron Rodgers' skill set at this point in his career? I think Rodgers is still at his best, especially at this point in his career, getting the ball out of his hands in rhythm. I'm thinking back to when they played the Pats where there was a lot of the RPO stuff and just it felt like they were just kind of beating the RPO stuff over the head because – yeah. Obviously, he was trying to get used to his new receivers, all that situation in Green Bay. But really, I think when he was playing the Pats, he was really looking good when he was hitting the top of his drop, getting it out. And then the accuracy and all the things that he does well pop out because you don't really want – I was 40 years old running around playing backyard ball anymore. Um, but also, I think it's going to be dependent on the health of their offensive line. Yeah. Because if – they haven't not tried. Like, he got Mekhi Becton. They brought in Dwayne Brown. Uh, Elijah Vera Tucker may be their best offensive lineman. This year they draft Joe Tipman. They're trying very hard <laughs> to build a good offensive line, Joe Douglas. But injuries have been biting them hard, and it makes it really tough to have any kind of consistency. And then they had even worse luck last year where you have two offensive rookie of the year uh, candidates, and one of them in Brees Hall ends up having a season-ending injury, and he was just absolutely on fire. So, you know, if a healthy Brees Hall – help the offensive line, I would think, okay, I think you can lean into the ground game more because you know you have Aaron Rodgers. So if you really can get to that smash mouth where you have to respect the run, 
And if teams decide, no, I'm going to play the pass because this is Aaron Rodgers, I, I would love for you to run the ball. Well, Brees Hall is so dynamic that when he's healthy, that's not such an easy proposition because he's going to start ripping off chunks and defenders just instinctively, you're going to start getting greedy if you're like, okay, we can't stop the run. This is really getting annoying. So I think it would be best, especially with Rodgers getting up there in age, to give him help and not rely on him to be your entire offense. But at the same time, if he can't get any protection or you can't run the ball, then it's going to get to the point where you might see more of the Green Bay where it's kind of it kind of has to be RPO because there's not a ton you can do and then you get more predictable. So like you say, they could finish – Last, they could finish first. I think if they are lucky health-wise, this could very well be the best team in the AFC East. But if they lose just two guys on that offensive line, I think that's when, okay, it's really dicey, especially in a division with so many great pass rushers and defensive linemen. I think the world they want to live in, and, and the best one for Rodgers, as you alluded to, is one where that outside zone rushing attack looks like it did when Brees Hall was healthy. And while I don't think we're going to see a ton of motion because Aaron Rodgers hates motion now, um, you know, like you, you allude, the RPO game they can use to set up constraints to help the run game. Um, but they need the offensive line to be healthy. They need Brees Hall to be healthy. And right now we don't know if he's starting week one. I mean, this is why there's a lot of this Dalvin Cook noise. Um, he, Brees Hall is really good. Um, you know, he went last year before he got injured, I thought showed, um, I mean, he's just like the perfect zone running, like he, his vision, his explosiveness coming out of his cuts. Um, he, I think, was held back. The offensive line did not block particularly great for him. Finished 32nd mm -hmm. in football outsiders adjusted line yards. Uh, but if you dig into the advanced numbers, he led all backs in rushing yards over expectation, which reflects um, blocking. It's a stat that Dalvin cook finished really low in, which is why, you know, I think there's questions about his oh, ability to <laughs> produce outside. <laughs> so I, I, he, Anyways, long story short, he's really important uh, to this mm -hmm. offense because, yeah, the, everything they want to do, they want to float the, the play action, setting up shots off of play action, punishing teams that um, play Rodgers. And, and if things pop off with Garrett Wilson, if that relationship is, approximates anything close to his relationship with Devontae Adams, you will see defenses respecting that in coverage. So they need to be able to punish teams on the ground. Um, and it does come down to, you, you mentioned the tackle position is just – I, I actually like looked through the reports to kind of see what the latest is. <laughs> um, and it's, it's still very murky right now. I mean, yeah. Mackay Becton seems kind of disgruntled about playing right tackle, but he might not even start at right tackle. Dwayne <laughs> Brown is the ostensible starting left tackle. He, he's a competent player, but obviously getting up in the years and coming off of surgery. So anyways, long story short, it's important. It's also obviously very important to pass pro because my feeling about Rogers at this point in his career is he can still sling it. His arm is mm -hmm. still there, but he's not as mobile. And, um, you know, his play under pressure, like he was a quarterback last year that you could blitz, which was not the case for a lot of his career. So I think protection does, it just matters more at this point in his career than it did for a long time. And so that, mm -hmm. like, it all seems to hinge on that for me. Yeah. And there's also the familiarity, I feel like just yeah. him being comfortable. And I think you kind of get that with Lazard, obviously, 
was his number one last season. Randall Cobb, I don't even know if he's going to make the roster, very honestly, but if we do see that, okay, Rodgers doesn't really trust some of the other guys we have out there, at least he's an option to throw out and say, okay, he at least knows where Cobb's going to be. Give him a little bit of an extra binky out there. And Garrett Wilson is so good. I just, I would assume that they are spending as much time together as possible to get on the yeah. same page because you've got to run the offense through him. You know, I think their other guys are complimentary. You know, McCole Hardman's more of a gadget guy. Um, they got, uh, Denzel Mims, another guy you're not even sure if he's going to make a team. Corey Davis, who's a veteran. So maybe they can catch on a little quicker. Still a jet. Uh, but with, it's still just, it's, Amazing. Some of the receivers they have, I'm like, well, he's still there. Um, but yeah, I, I really do think, like you say, it's easy to blitz a guy when he doesn't trust the guys he's throwing to, or if, you know, he doesn't think they're going to be in the right spot, if they don't know what adjustment to make. And last year, when he's throwing to all those rookie receivers, they started to figure it out. And I think especially on those scramble drills where Rodgers can be really dangerous, even though he's not super mobile, he still has a knack for making guys miss, finding enough room to extend the play, and then he can punish you uh, by throwing downfield. So if he can do what he did and have any level of success with all those young guys, I do feel more confident in his ability to at least keep this offense steady uh, for most of the season. But again, it all hinges on that offensive line because it doesn't matter who you're throwing to. If you don't feel like you can step back and get it out on time without getting hit, then that's going to affect anybody. They'll be helped by him because he's going to get the mm -hmm. ball out much quicker than the quarterbacks that they've been playing with. Um <laughs> both Wilson and White. So I think, you know, he'll Rogers will make the offensive line look better than they did mm -hmm. last year, but um, they have to be at least functional. It's fine. I was trying to like, I was looking through his stats last year and like parsing them out by types of routes and coverages just compared to his MVP seasons. But it's so hard to one, there's the injury. It's also just so every time you look at it, you're like, is this an Aaron Rodgers stat or a Devontae Adams not being their stat? Like, you know, like, like yeah. it's, it's really hard to parse out um, because things that he stopped doing, tacking the deep middle, things mm -hmm. like outbreaking short routes. He went from second best quarterback in the NFL to one of the worst. Well, it's kind mm -hmm. of a Devontae Adams stat. So, you know, when I watched him, he didn't strike me as being. Like I, I wasn't like, oh God, like some, you know, his arms falling off or anything like that. Um, he just kind of struck me as not trusting the receivers and then at times mm -hmm. just going full YOLO. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I think that's what it's not unreasonable to think he'll be better this season, but yeah, the, the line is a huge question mark, uh, far fewer question marks on the defense. More just exclamation points. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, finished top five in just about everything last year. Very good against both the pass and the run. Good against the run without allocating a lot of resources to the run. A um, lot of, you know, light box. I mean, they're pretty much like a, a light box team that played a lot of, I think probably the most quarters in the NFL would be my guess. Off the very, head. Yeah. yeah. Very quarters heavy um, with, you know, two shutdown corners. Like, it's kind of like if you have – a defense that can stop the run with light boxes. And if you have two shutdown corners in the NFL, you know, you're kind of set. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and, and, you, and you can get after the quarterback with four and they can do all three of those things. Yeah. That makes your life a lot easier on defense when you've got Quinn and Williams in the middle. You got Carl Lawson when he's out there, John Franklin Myers. Like it's, 
Yeah. Their defensive front is so underrated because I feel like it's a mix of like bigger power rushers, really, that people don't necessarily know of as household names. And then some veterans who you've heard of, but you don't really know much about them because they're playing for the Jets. No one talks about the Jets, but their front was full of some monsters. Quinny Williams just treats offensive linemen, especially on the interior, like they're not even there. It is terrifying to watch. And not only the power, but the explosiveness and the mobility for him. Like I, I, if anything, you're coming away from this podcast, Quentin Williams, buy stock. I know he's not necessarily a football, fantasy football guy, but he's just a fantastic player. Um, but yeah, the front really dictates a lot of what they do because you think of their linebackers. They got Quincy Williams and CJ Mosley, who aren't like the, you know, the Patriots, like their Jawan Bentley types, where it's basically an, another uh, lineman who you can stack and shed pretty easily and count on that guy to win in the ground game. Really, the Jets' second level is more about let me be athletic and fly to the ball. Obviously, that's going to bite you sometimes when you have that kind of scheme. But with their front, a lot of times people aren't even getting to the second level because they're so dominant. Uh, makes life easier on the linebackers. And then in the secondary, you can play more of those. Like, obviously, big, everyone's trying to copy Big Fangio and play more too high because your priority on pretty much every play is to stop the pass. And whether they're rotating down, you know, they do they play a decent amount of cover three as well. Just every single team plays a good amount of cover three because yeah. you have to defend the run. They like to mix in cover one once it's an obvious passing situation. But on those early downs, like you said, they don't really have to commit a lot of resources. And even if you want to run the ball because it's a favorable look, you can't because they're dominant. Um, I, I That's another defense I can talk about all day. I, I'd say the only real question mark is the safety spot. Chuck yeah. Clark seemed like he was maybe going to add some stability, got hurt. What's going to happen with Adrian Amos? You don't really know. Uh, but those corners, I mean, obviously sauce. DJ Reed know, was so amazing. Underrated. Such an underrated S- player. Yeah. Five nine corner who you would think would be in the slot, but he is yeah. was playing like one of the better outside corners in the league. And then one of their Michael Carters. They had a running back and a slot corner. It's very confusing. Um, but even Michael Carter in the slot yeah. was pretty solid. So I it's would very, say if yeah. I'm an offense, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's very obvious where you attack this team, which is yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, like, you saw that with the Ravens. Like Lamar Jackson yeah. had some bombs where he just got Rashad Bateman up against a safety and was like, <laughs> yeah, okay. Boop. I think off the top of my head, maybe the Jags. There were a couple of offenses where it was very obvious they were going after the linebackers and the safeties and mm-hmm. coverage because yeah. you can't look anywhere else. I mean, and that's, I mean, I, I. I Grabbed this out of curiosity. So outside the numbers, they had the, the, uh, the second lowest QBR in football. Everything is like insane, like shut down. Between the numbers, 23rd best. There you go. Uh, yeah. And, you know, when you look at the um, EPA per play allowed by the different players in coverage, it's <laughs> Sauce Gardner, best in the NFL. 28.8 expected points at it, which I, I realize probably what? means nothing when I'm describing it. It's basically throwing at him was a death wish and very few quarterbacks <laughs> did it. All of the corners were good. However, or probably negative 28.8, I should say. Mm. Um, but um, the safeties and the linebackers, not so much in coverage. That's where you suddenly, you see, it, it is a pretty dramatic split in terms of yeah. grades, stats, shows up on the tape. So... I agree with your diagnosis of the potential issue. Um, I thought CJ Mosley was good, but outside of him, linebacker and safety is the thing. But again, four-man rush, light boxes, two shutdown corners. That's, you know. It's not ideal to be weak in the middle, but when you play that Fangio-type scheme of we're just going to force you to throw underneath. Like one thing about the linebackers, like you can manipulate them a little bit, but when they're playing zone and they're getting back to their depth – 
you're still kind of having a dink and dunk. And if you're not a quarterback who's willing to do that consistently, or you're not in a position where you can use play action to create those matchups over the middle and kind of get guys displaced or a step behind, then you're really in trouble because you're not, like we said, you're not throwing deep on the outside against those guys. That's not happening. Uh, But if they know it's coming, really, if you're trying to, if you're not going to get the ball out of your hand quickly, it's either going to be a sack or maybe a turnover or just it's not going to work out well for you. So it's, yeah, they have their weaknesses, but you have to be very, very patient when throwing against this defense. And how many quarterbacks can you say are going to do that consistently? Yeah, they're very well built for the modern NFL. And, yeah. you know, like to, to play like the mutant quarterbacks, you have to be able to get pressure without blitzing. And you have to be able to take away the deep part of the field, and they can do both of those things. So, yes, there's maybe some questions other than that, but it's the foundation is insane. I do not expect regression. I've talked about this. Um, young ascending players across the board, they didn't even really get contribution from their edge rushers outside of – I mean, you know, Lawson was okay. Um mm-hmm. Uh, like Bryce Huss, designated pass, uh, edge rusher, was great. But, yeah. like, they don't have, like, a star edge rusher right. the way, like, you know, they don't have, like, a Judon or a Von Miller or we're going to talk about my beloved Jalen Phillips in a second. But it doesn't really matter because of the style of play and then because of what they've got, the depth, and then the interior being so strong. So the Jets' defense is absolutely awesome. Um, okay, we're going to finish with the Dolphins. Dolphins offense is hard to talk about because they were an absolute death star for much of the season. And then in the second half, it was confusing because there were so many confounding factors. There was two Atangalayos injuries. There was Teron Armstead's injuries. Very important. And then there were, they played a few really good defenses that even when they did play two Atangaloa, um, sort of through I, could, I always would say they threw some grit into the gears of the uh, well-oiled machine. So now as we look ahead to this season, I have, you know, I look, I had the Dolphins in the top 10 on both of my lists. I think this roster is absolutely stacked. But I do have questions about um, sort of like what is the next iteration of this Mike McDaniel offense? Like how much do they have to deviate from what we saw um, how much will they deviate? I think it's going to mm-hmm. be obviously very game game plan specific. Um, so I guess my question for you is like what you saw from this team in the second half, some of the issues that they ran into, how do you see them adapting in 2023? I think they're going to have to show, I don't know how much they're going to want to put two in the position to do something he's not comfortable with, but I think if they really want to reach the next level of, people are genuinely afraid of Tua and not just the receivers. They've got to show they can throw outside more consistently. Mm. Like the one game that always comes to mind is the uh, Chargers game. Yeah. Or they just said, all right, we're going to play man to the backside. So you can't get those little easy RPO like slants that just kill everyone. And then we're going to play basically quarters. But the way it's designed is specifically to beat those crossing routes that Tua loves. Like that's the vast majority of their offense is Tua hitting that intermediate middle of the field. And you saw that where they would have the safety that would usually be covering the backside. He would basically just be looking for anybody over the middle and taking that away. And they didn't really have answers. There was that one play I know where Tyreek just ran right past a corner on the outside and scored that like really long touchdown. And that's the kind of thing where a defense says, oh, crap, like this. Now we're in trouble because we're dedicating all these resources in the middle of the field. And now they're showing that they can actually attack us outside. But that doesn't happen consistently enough 
that I think you look at Tua and say, if he's locked in, there's really not a specific coverage we can use to stop him. Uh, and I don't want to be one of those people that takes away from what Tua did last year because obviously the receivers are way great. <laughs> but when you look at his anticipation, his uh, how quickly he can set, get the ball out, like all those things, he's one of the best in the league when he can throw on time and in rhythm. But you also saw moments where he would predetermine and he's throwing in the windows where you're just like, no, do it, do it. I know you want to do it. Please, 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 please stop. Yeah. And then he's throwing in a double, triple coverage because it's just a play that he's so comfortable with that he's not really seeing that there's somebody standing right there. And another thing that he does, which is great when it works and not when it doesn't, is how he'll sometimes start one way knowing that he's going to look backside and throw, thinking that a defender is going to be out of the window. And again, when it works, it looks awesome. And it's like, whoa, this guy's manipulating defenders. It looks great. And then again, there's the one where there's somebody still standing right there and he's so used to getting it out of his hands and just being in rhythm that it turns into a bad play. So I think just showing he can consistently attack different parts of the field. He doesn't necessarily have to be the deep ball guy. We all know he's got the issues with arm strength. You don't want him throwing 50-yard bombs consistently in a game, but you do want that element of, okay, we can still attack outside enough that you have to respect it. Yes. And I think to set that up, there's going to have to be some changes schematically. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that they need to run the ball more efficiently, basically make – defenses um, fear it a little bit more by just being mm -hmm. efficient on early downs when they do run the ball. One thing that jumped out to me, though, I mean, it's not like they couldn't run it. Like, I, you know, I've seen that sort of narrative out there, like, oh, Mike McDaniel wouldn't run the ball, and, he, you know, this team was – they weren't built for – whatever playoff football that guys that can run the ball like i actually thought so one of the games that i um went back and watched again was the bills game where tua was mm -hmm. back and they ran the ball really well yeah. in that game i don't even remember that taylor but like i i do think um it's something they can do they love having a fullback on the field ingold is their fullback mm -hmm. um but it's funny i was so uh they faced pull this because i was just curious curious okay so it, it's really, it was really interesting seeing like Mike McDaniel's translation of the like Shanahan offense and how it changed. Mm -hmm. And obviously the most glaring thing was the use of RPOs and Tua and the gun and that kind of thing and attacking downfield yeah. because the, the motion and all that. But, um, you know, they used the most 21 personnel in the NFL, which I think people would be yeah. surprised by because you think of San Francisco um, and they were the second most efficient offense in doing so right behind San Francisco. But whereas San Francisco, when they were in 21, they faced eight man boxes 42% of the time, which is not surprising because that's what people right. expect them to do. Miami in 21 personnel. So when they had an extra running back or fullback on the field, faced stack boxes just 18% of the time. Defenses <laughs> did not think they were they going. They running into them, were they? They're on the ball, yeah. So... Um, I, I really think we might see McDaniel, like in terms of like, okay, where does this offense go from here? You talked about how they need to um, be able to pass outside better. And I think that's definitely true. I also think, um, you know, just running into those light boxes more, um, building a more efficient run game just to get like, you know, they need to be in more third. And this is a team that was like outrageous on first down, you know? And I think just like, with their core concepts, but I think just setting up third and manageables with the run game will make things mm -hmm. a lot easier for Tua and for the passing attack. When defenses take away 
that the middle of the field and those, you know, deep, those breaking RPOs and, and whatnot. Um, so I think that's going to be a thing. I also think a big change we're going to see is I expect them to actually use their tight ends this year. So this team with Mike Gesicki, who we didn't, you know, now in the Patriots, I really like that pickup. He was basically a non-factor in this offense. Yeah. Like Mike McDaniel did not look his way at all. Um, so he goes out and they add Durham Smythe. Or was he on the roster? I can't remember. But <laughs> yeah, Smythe, uh, he was yeah. on the roster. Yeah, sorry. Eric Saubert is the one that they from yeah. Denver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Croft. They added Croft, not Smythe Croft, Tyler Croft, who was within okay. San Francisco. Anyways, point is they want blocking. <laughs> he wants to be able, he wants his tight ends to actually block. So I think this is the yeah. team that we're going to see, um, you know, just frankly, like a more, um, multiple and more efficient run game. And I think it'll help the passing attack as a result because it'll make defenses actually, you know, accept that they do different things. Yeah. And literally the running attack didn't even pop into my head because um, obviously you're afraid of them because they can pass the ball. And when I was watching the Patriots, I was studying their big nickel package where it's nickel, but instead of a corner, you put a safety and the two games where they play two of the games where they played at the most, I believe it was like top three were against Miami in the beginning of the season mm. and the end of the season, because McDaniel loves coming out and run personnel, like going under center, everything looks like run. Yeah. They also do some interesting things with formation where you'll see multiple shifts because they'll start, it's called formation to boundary where like they'll have yeah. three receivers to the short side of the field, which is not normal. But then it's, it, it messes with your rules because you're not sure where to line up pre-snap all the time on defense. Then they have somebody come across and there's somebody in motion and you're just like, what am I looking at? This is just so much to process. But they're doing all that to set up the run and obviously just get that second level to freeze so Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle can do their thing and just stretch you downfield. But the Patriots were also almost always playing either cover two or starting in a too high shell and then rotating down after they would do their motion to get more numbers in the box just in case there was a run. But they, you could tell they didn't really respect it very much. They were just kind of going through the motions, but it's like, no, you're not fooling us. We know you want to throw it over our heads. So I do agree. If they actually commit to the run, and I understand it's very tempting, just like with the Bills, when you have superstars who can kill a defense in the pass game, especially when you come out in those run formations, I completely understand the temptation to be like, eh, but we're still going to pass because I would like to rather get 20 plays instead of five. Um, but still, when you can get those chunks in, like we were saying earlier, when you force a defense to whether or not they realize it to say, all right, I'm not going to keep letting you get five yards, four yards. Like, I'm sick of this. It just takes that one play where then it pops off and Jalen Waddle's on a crossing route and outrunning the entire defense. So not only do I think that helps time of possession, you know, that's where you can really extend the game and make it even harder on defenses because it's not these big plays where you're getting like 30, 40 yard scores and then your defense is back on the field. It really, really puts these teams in a bind if they're like, well, we at least have to formationally show some respect to this run game and then all the benefits are going to come from that. So I do, th- it's kind of like the Bills, we were saying, if they really can run the ball and they force you to yeah. respect it or at least acknowledge its existence, then these offenses become I, even scarier than they already are. And like that, that's a broader point, right, about the league right now as defenses have shifted towards playing the pass more. And, you know, we've talked about this a lot in my podcast or whatever. You don't have to be run heavy. You just have to convince them that you can do it and that you will yeah. do it um, to get them out of those looks. And I think that, again, that's just so key with this Miami team is is because with the Chargers game in terms of like, you know, defense is making a concerted effort to take away the middle of the field and challenge that really those that core RPO slash play action 
concepts that they were using with Tyreek Hill, you have to punish them for it. Yeah, if you're going to yeah. play that way, you have to punish you for it. So I'm really excited to see kind of what's next with this Miami offense. I think it's really interesting because it's such an unbelievable, unreal collection of skill player talent. And like, I mean. So unfair. Jalen A-Chain I, I saw, too? Like, whew. Oh, my God. Whew. I, I saw, um, I can't remember, it was one of the aggregators put up a tweet like, who's the best number two wide receiver in the NFL? And look, T. Higgins is, I, you know, is right there. Yeah. Jalen Waddle is insane. <laughs> he's so good. It's he's exactly what you want in that slot Z role because oh he's, he's so good with the ball in his hands, but he can also beat you deep. He, like, and he's he has just size. an absolute nightmare. He has and like he physicality. Has he's like good at the catch point, but yeah. he's like such a like just such a good player. All right, I <laughs> I talked about the the, the the Dolphins defense. I talked about at great length um, during the top ten defenses podcast. This might be the unit uh, like in the NFL. I'm just. I was I, I almost like had to check myself. I, I almost put them above New England, and I was like, "Am I being irrationally?" I wouldn't blame you. I'm, I've gone Just back and forth myself. The talent at uh, all three levels now. Um, yeah, and then you know I, I've talked a long length about Vic Fangio's scheme and why I think it's a great fit with the talent. Um, yeah, I I think it'll be interesting to see on the back end. Um, yeah how these players are used. You know, I, that was something I didn't really dig into in great detail. I was like, oh, t- you know, Jalen Ramsey's played in a similar defense before in Los Angeles. And, and, and you remember in Los Angeles um, when uh, Brandon Staley was defensive coordinator, comes from the Vipandio tree, he was playing that more star role where they had him yep. yeah, inside a lot. I don't know if he's going to do that here. I'm really interested in seeing, because they have, okay, so between him, Xavier Howard, and... Uh, Cater Kohu is his first Cater, yeah, I think. Yeah. Kohu. Who mm-hmm. emerged last year as a really good player. Um, it's a lot of really interesting players. I'm not quite sure exactly how Fangio is going to deploy Ramsey in this game. I think it depends on whether Cam Smith can earn like they actual drafted. playing time. If Cam Smith is on the field, that is the nightmare scenario as someone who is not rooting for the Dolphins. Because if you put Jalen Ramsey as your slot guy, where usually you wouldn't expect someone with his size to be good in the slot, but because Fangio loves his zone defense, it's good. another interesting thing is whether they actually play more man because that's where Xavier Howard really thrives and that's, where he's at his best. Yes. So you don't really know, but also, sure, Jalen Ramsey can man up with just about anybody in the league. And Cam Smith was one of my favorite corners in the entire draft. I think a really, really good player who slipped a bit. So if Cater Kohu is their number three, then I think you do see Ramsey more on the outside. But if Cam Smith emerges quickly and you can bump Ramsey in the slot, that is a terrifying defense. And then you got Javon Holland in the middle of the field. Brandon Jones, I think, is a really interesting second safety. Yeah, Javon Holland, I think I also didn't really get into I mean, to run Vic scheme, you do need a safety who can, when you know they rotate, be that center fielder and go sideline to sideline. And I think mm-hmm. uh, he has that in Holland. They also brought in Deshaun Elliott, who I think is, is fairly rangy. But yeah, Cam Smith, um, I didn't really talk about him a ton pre-draft, super physical, can play press man. I mean, the thing about like the Fangio defense um, has been sort of like, I don't want to say bastardized, but like they're <laughs> – there is this kind of conception of like some of, because some of his um, guys like the, his whatever coaching tree have called fairly passive zone split safety defenses around the NFL, like Minnesota. 
um that's not what he's gonna do like he right. actually in Denver, you know like there will they will play a fair amount of man coverage um and i think yeah the how he actually deploys these players it really like you said it comes down to whether smith starts um how he uses ramsey up front i mean she's like i i think jalen phillips is like on the edge of becoming a total superstar. Um, He's right there. I posted a couple clips. Like he was so like, don't be fooled by the sack numbers. Just a good example of why sacks are a terrible way to look at pass rushers. He was so close and so disruptive. And um, he's really fun to watch too. He wins like a Mm -hmm. lot of different ways. Uh, He has like already like a pretty complete set of moves. He is super bendy. He is his motor runs super hot. I really think like I wouldn't be surprised this year if especially with um, Chubb having like a full season too with them, if he finishes as one of the five best pass rushers in the NFL. Especially because they're going to be in third and long a lot. (laughs) He's going to have a lot. And you saw last season, they were moving him up and down the line. So the scariest part is when you get a juiced up twitchy pass rusher, you know, your main fear is, oh, God, we got to find some way to protect the edge. But he'll also go up against a guard and just smoke the guy before he's even like comfortably in his he's set. He's so good rushing from the inside. He is there was so the, I forget which good. game it was, but he had that swipe where he won just instantaneously. And it's like, that's the nightmare matchup where you know pass is coming. And it's just like, okay, who's the worst offensive lineman on the other team? Jalen, you go there. That's that's the really scary scenario that I think you're going to run into. Uh, uh, man, this defense is so good. And then you got Chubb, um, who's obviously very good in his own right. But I think Jalen Phillips is still going to be like, I'm thinking more of an Uche type trajectory for yeah. him where the first couple of seasons you see the talent, but he's not really getting a lot of recognition. And, and then, then at some point next season, especially because teams you've be got a great coordinator. And also, so teams are throwing the, the ball a lot. I mean, I just think his skill set is really complete and he's going to run defense too. Like yeah. he's just. Also that scheme last season I, with all yeah, the cover so, zero. And he gets to play next to freaking. Uh. Sealer and Wilkins, who are like, I mean, this front has the potential to be one of the better groups in the NFL, whatever. I feel like I, I already talked about these defenses and like raved about them, but there's just so much talent in this division. It's crazy. You posted, singing of Uche, uh, I, I thought, um, I think you posted all the sacks recently, right? Yeah. Compared to Judon. Like the ones where he really just beat somebody straight up. Yeah. His inside moves are so crazy. Because you can't not respect him outside. And then yeah. as soon as you do, just whoop. it's it's death. It is death. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Phillips clips I posted were of him going up against because I wanted to sh- uh first I watched him against the divisional games, then I went back, I wanted to watch him against a good left tackle. So I think it was Miami or Do- the Detroit. It was against Taylor mm-hmm. Becker, I think. And he was just fucking kicking his ass. Like it was crazy. He's on another level. And he's like, he's got that Uche thing where they're just so fast, but they know how to build things and counter off certain things and set you up. They're really, really smart young edge rushers. And I don't, there's so much you can say. And I really do think that now that they're going to get away from the cover zero scheme that they've had since the Flores days, which I think kind of hid their best pass rushers because in cover zero, you're not expecting any one person to win. You're just trying to overwhelm the protection and hope somebody gets free or the ball comes out. So Jalen Phillips was getting fewer opportunities. Really everybody, Christian Wilkins, like Sealer, who I'm so glad you mentioned. He's like, he's Mike Dietrich wise of the Dolphins where he does so many things for them and is so impactful, but people don't really talk about him. Extremely good. Extremely good. He's a really good player. And they're all going to get more opportunities to actually rush the passer and 
like we said, because there's going to be obvious passing situations where instead of, okay, you know, Javon Holland is probably going to be the one who gets the pressure because he's the only one that they didn't block. Now it's going to be more one-on-one situations, and these guys are really going to get a chance to get off the chain and just make, like, miserable for I think of, like, lines. Khalil Mack in Chicago, just thinking about Fangio's past defenses and the kind of role that he could play and the way in which it could unleash his productivity is pretty special. As you guys know, NFL teams can make mistakes when it comes to spending money. For example, cover years, Broncos fans. Russell Wilson has a $53 million cap hit this year. (laughs) But uh, unlike the uh, Walton family, I'm guessing people listening to this podcast don't have millions to spend. Maybe some of you do. I don't know. Get at me. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products, and they decided to do something better. They found their own way to make a beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of other big brands. So you never wonder if you overpaid. They have customizable delivery options for scheduled refills as low as $2, which is half of what you pay for big brands. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best does not mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com M-I-N-A. That's harrys.com Mina for a $3 trial set. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Okay. Now the hard part. I don't know how to rank these teams. I, like, I... I... I guess Bills, Dolphins, Jets, Pats, but like I would not be surprised if it finishes. It, like there's some divisions, there's like two, t- a lot of divisions. It's like, okay, there's a clear two tier. There's a middle. I don't, right. because I really believe people are sleeping on the fact that the Patriots have one of the best defenses in the NFL and all they need is their offense to be average. And if that's the yeah. case, they can play any of these teams. So I don't know. I And I have them fourth. I don't yeah. know. Like in my record prediction for the Pats, I had them winning 12 to 13. The 13 was a, a homer pick. I admitted it was against the Chiefs just because Belichick is so good against Mahomes. But here was the here was the contingent. I was like, if they win eight games, I won't be surprised because I think the defense is going to keep them in every game. I think we're going to get back to the Patriots teams. That, like they're not ever going to get blown oh, out or like it's not going to be an gross. embarrassing loss. There's going to be some like 16 and 13. Like it's going to get nasty. With this team. The guys who like that 1950s brand of football, they're going to go nuts for the Patriots this yeah. year. But at the end of the day, you think about it. How do you win football games? You score more than the other team. Well, if the other team isn't scoring 30 points every week, you know, or at least you're holding them around the 20s range and you can get to the point where it's okay, Mac, we have the ball last. Don't screw this up. And last year they were screwing themselves a lot. Like they would be in ideal yeah. situations and then there'd Special be a penalty teams. or, or the Raiders game, whatever. I'm still not over that. That was one of the genuinely most insane things I've ever seen in my life. Um, but with, if they're not shooting themselves in the foot, this is a team that you're going to say, Hey, they're not going to throw it over our heads all the time unless Taquan Thornton emerges. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be okay. This is going to be a tight game where we can't let our foot off the gas because if we do that in the fourth quarter, they can get a sneaky win out of here. I do think all four of these teams can make the playoffs. I I would say I would put the Patriots out of the group that can win the Super Bowl, but I think the other three can. Um, 
Yeah, and then man. Dolphins Jets, it's like O line health is really and Tua's yeah. health. If two and you, I, you made a great point in one of your shows where all the ba- none of the backups played with Teron Armstead, right? Yes, very, very Which, few reps with Armstead. Very hard to judge how good the offense is without their starting quarterback and their left tackle. There's you know, a, there's a Dolphins uh, blogger. His name's Chris Kaufman. Kaufman, and uh, he, I, I had posted like I've got both these rosters in the top ten or some video, and he compared the Dolphins to like the Death Star, where. There is one way in which the whole, like, you know, like there's that, the, the, the spoiler alert. The one impossible Star shot, Wars. yeah. Yeah, there's that shot. And, and there's like a way to attack them. And it's clearly mm-hmm. if Armstead goes down, the whole thing yeah. just. But otherwise, this team slaps. The roster is incredible. So I don't know. It's That's part of the reason why it's so hard to rank these teams because yeah. there's unknowns with those teams with the offensive lines. Um We'll see with the Bills' defense, whether you know what it looks like with McDermott. I think they're the safest, safest bet, which is why I do still yeah. have them winning the division because I think you can come up with question marks for the other teams. But mm. I'm excited to see how it all plays out. You're so lucky. You covered a division where there's no duds. Every game, every divisional game is going to be amazing. Um, guys, if you are interested in like reading Taylor's amazing Patriots coverage, where can they check out your work? Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Um, but yeah, you can find me on Twitter at TKYLES39. Uh, and you can also find me at CLNSmedia.com under my name, Taylor Kyles. And I also still do some work for Pat's Pulpit with SB Nation. That's where I got my start. They've always been unbelievable to me. Um, so yeah, those are uh, those are my spots. I like Pat's Pulpit. The, the Pat's Pulpit, pardon me. That's one of the better team blogs out there. So I, They're I like fantastic. Another stacked um, roster. <laughs> yeah, another stacked roster. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Taylor, we'll have to have you back on when the season starts. Please and thank you. Wow.